You're listening to a Wheeler Centre podcast. It felt like energy, like the, the words, the story, it just felt like something that had to come out of my body. And if I wasn't going to write it, I was going to scream it or I was going to dig it or something. I mean, seriously, just like that's where I was um, when I was writing this. Good evening. Hello, beautiful people. Uh, Welcome to Rachel Yoda Night Bitch. My name is Veronica Sullivan and I'm the head of programming here at the Wheeler Centre. I'd like to acknowledge that this event is taking place on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nations and pay respects to their elders, past and present, and to any First Nations people here this evening. Uh, And I'd like to acknowledge their ongoing custodianship of country and their generations, many, many generations of storytelling and culture. This is the final event of day one of Mother, a weekend of fearless conversations about the ways that motherhood is experienced, portrayed and labelled by those who mother, who have been mothered, who wish they were mothers, who cannot or do not want to mother, and by society at large. We are so glad that you could join us tonight, and if you've not already done so, I very strongly encourage you to check out the rest of the program. Um, There's amazing, amazing conversations and special events with a really remarkable array of speakers and writers and thinkers and performers. And I do want to give a massive shout out to our incredible programmers, Beck Kavanagh and Jamila Koja, who have conceived of, and yes, big round of applause for Beck and Jamila. Um, they have just put all of their big hearts and brains into this amazing series, um, and it's really, really beautiful to see it come to fruition, and I am so incredibly proud and grateful to work with you both. And now it is my great pleasure to introduce you to and then hand over to our wonderful, wonderful host for this evening, Kate Mildenhall, who will introduce us to our special guest. Kate is the author of two works of fiction, Skylarking and The Mother Fault, which is available for purchase tonight. And she co-hosts the First Time Podcast, a brilliant, inspiring, um, just feels like having a chat with a friend, conversational podcast about the first time you publish a book. Kate lives in Hurstbridge on Wurundjeri land with her partner and two children. And her third novel, very excitingly, will be out in August. It's called The Hummingbird Effect, so do keep an eye out. Thank you all for being here. And now over to you, Kate and Rachel. Thank you, Ronnie. And thank you all for being here. I'd also like to acknowledge that this event is taking place on the unceded land of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation, land on which I also live and work and I'd like to pay my respects to elders past and present. To our amazing guest, Rachel Yoda is the author of my well-thumbed copy here, Night Bitch. Her debut novel released in July 2021. Selected as an Indie Next pick in August 2021, Night Bitch has gone on to be named a Best Book of the Year by Esquire and Vulture and recognised as a finalist for the Penn Hemingway Award for Debut Fiction, finalist for the VCU Cable First Novelist Award and on the shortlist for the McKitterick Prize. To date, Night Bitch has been translated into 13 languages. Have we got an, an up on that at all? Still 13? I think we're still at 13. Still at 13. Uh, And a film adaptation directed by Marielle Heller and starring Amy Adams will be out later this year, which is very exciting, and we hopefully we'll get to talk about that. Rachel is a graduate of the Iowa Nonfiction Writing Program and also holds an MFA in fiction from the University of Arizona. She grew up in a Mennonite community in the Appalachian foothills of eastern Ohio and now lives in Iowa City, Welcome to Australia, Rachel. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Very exciting. I know that there are many fans here in the audience. It's so exciting that you're here who wanted to know whether you were going to be here in real life. I mean, what an honor. Whoever would have thought Night Bitch would bring me to Australia. So thank you so much uh, for inviting me. Yeah. Rachel, you wrote a wonderful piece that some of the audience might have read in the spectrum last weekend where you described the image of motherhood that you grew up with Mm -hmm. and the fact that when you became a mother yourself, you wanted to move away from that. So I wanted to start by asking what was that vision of the ideal mother you grew up with and what did you start searching for? Sure. Yeah. So in my in my bio, it said I grew up in a intentional Mennonite community um, in Ohio, Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Amish. They're plainclothes pacifist people, uh, a religious sect in the United States. 
My father was raised Amish. Um, they don't use electricity. They are typically farmers. Uh, and so his family made the transition to Amish Mennonite. Mennonite is sort of a, uh, a less strict version of Amish, um, still pacifists, but don't have a lot of the lifestyle restrictions that the Amish have. So his generation was part of this transition. Um, and I was the generation that came after that. So I grew up with aunts who I never saw in slacks or jeans, you know, who always had a dress or a skirt on, always wore their hair up with a covering. Um, and as you might imagine, just incredibly traditional gender roles uh, in that family. And so when I was a little girl, I think Thanksgiving was our big uh, Mennonite holiday. And I, this image is just the image that sticks with me down in the Maple Grove Mennonite basement after we've eaten. What happens? Well, all of the men get their coffee and they sit at the long table covered with paper and they get to talk about theology. They get to tell stories from their childhood. They get to debate. They get to have these amazing conversations, drinking coffee. The women, meanwhile, are all in the kitchen and they're putting away the food and they're with the kids and they're having their own conversations too, right? But I was just, I was, I wanted to be with the coffee and the stories. <laughs> I found that really compelling, even as a really little um, girl. And I knew it wasn't my place, you know, that it was very clear that wasn't my place. Um, and I, I, so I think, you know, so much of my life ever since then, in many ways, uh, definitely with my writing and with this book in particular, have been, how do I get out of the Maple Grove basement? You know, like, how do I get out of it? And how do I get to the table I, I kind of want to be at? And so working against that image of you know, the mother as being in the kitchen, self-sacrificial with the children, devoid of ideas and stories. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that is obviously kind of a central tension, a central image that's being challenged in Night Bitch. Mm -hmm. Let's get to Night Beach. <laughs> uh, in the article, you, you write that after you became a mother, you weren't yourself anymore. Mm. That motherhood called on you to become, and I quote, something else, something more. Night Beach dives into this territory, deeply into this territory, a mother who literally becomes something else. Tell us about how this book came to be. Yeah, how did, wow, how did this book come to be? Um, let's see, so... In my 20s, I made um, a big break with my community and my family. And we all rebel in our 20s, right? But uh, there were some pretty strict expectations, I think, for me. You know, like, I should get married. I should have kids. I should go to church every Sunday. Um, none of which I, I wanted to do. Uh, so I made a, a pretty big, dramatic break, as some people do in their 20s, um, I very biblically went to the desert of Arizona, um, and I did. I was I was somewhat estranged from my family, and what happened when I was there is I took a writing class and I met a very nice writing teacher, a who became my mentor, and I just needed one person. I needed one person, and I found her, and she said, "You're a good writer, and you should keep writing," and. I, and that and I started writing the story of a girl who left her religious community and didn't know what she was doing. I started using the stories as these, these sort of laboratories for creating myself, like creating my story. I was so alone. Um, and so it, it became this intensely important like generation of selfhood in my early 20s and that's how I kind of came to writing so then imagine I've been you know I've gone and gotten a couple MFAs I've taught 
um, writing has really become like the essence of who I am. It's what made me. And I have my son. I'm 35 and I have my son. And the writing leaves Mm. for two years. Not only does the writing leave, I don't care about it anymore. Like I don't want to write. I don't want to write. I want to hold my baby. I want to be with my baby. And um, that was a real sort of existential crisis for me. I thought, okay, well, maybe that era of my life is just over now, and I'm not a writer. And maybe I'm I'm a, I'm a mother now. That's what I am, right? Like we can't have all we can't have all the things. We have to make some decisions. We have to be pragmatic here. Um, and so during those two years of sort of this extended silence, because I wasn't writing, a lot of a lot of stuff was going on inside. There was still a lot of talking going on inside me. Um, and I think that talking is sort of what starts to come out when I sit down after those two years and start writing Night Bitch, which really came about um, as a joke between me and my husband. Uh, when I was kind of deep in year two or three of not having slept the entire night. Um, I like to joke this is like a book about sleep deprivation, but it is actually (laughs) a book about sleep deprivation. Um, And I just got really feral at night if I got woken up. I mean, like I needed to sleep through the night. I was really mean if you woke me up in the middle of the night. Thank you for laughing. (laughs) And um, one morning, my my husband made a joke. You know, he's like, oh, you're sort of like night bitch. And I was like, excuse me? Um, but we, you know, we laughed about it. And then I kept thinking about it. And I said, oh, it would be, it'd be like a really bad idea if I wrote a book where the mom actually does turn into a dog. And he's like, yeah, that'd be horrible. So immediately began writing that book. Um, <laughs> Yeah, be, but also because I needed, um, I, I think I was in a pretty kind of dark spot, you know, not having written, feeling pretty angry about how I found myself at home, almost 40, out of the workforce, with my child, and I had been trying not to let that happen ever since I was a little girl in the basement at Maple Grove Mennonite, right? I was like, I'm not going to be that. And somehow there I was, and I would, that's exactly what I was. Um, and so I needed, I, I needed a project where I could kind of get at that, that really deep core, like, oh, I've lost myself, but it wasn't going to w- sink me all the way down to like the bottom of the ocean, right? I needed, mm-hmm. oh, but she's turning into a dog and it's night bitch. Um, I needed that humor too to kind of balance it. So that's how I got into it. What did it feel like after those two years and you, and you get some words down on the page, what did that feel like physically and <laughs> in your body and in your brain to, to get some words down again? Oh, I mean, it felt really good. I And I wrote in a way I had never written before. And I went, you know, I know a lot of people's writing probably changes after they have children. Mm-hmm. You need to be more efficient. You need to kind of, you know, you, you don't have the whole day to lull around <laughs> thinking about your ideas. So um, there was this woman on Twitter. Her name's Jamie Attenberg. She's an American novelist and memoirist. And she does this thing called, she was doing this thing called A Thousand Words of Summer. And it was just kind of casual. She was like, okay, we're going to write a thousand words um, every day for the next two weeks. You should join me if you want. And I was like, that is what I'm doing Um, because I must write a book because I'm turning 40 and I will have a book. Um, And so I just, that's how I started doing it. And it, it was this voice that came out and she would show up every day, like ready to rant for a thousand words, like ready, ready to do some work before she had to go back and like make a quesadilla for her three-year-old. You know what I mean? Like she was, she was ready to work. So, um, yeah, that's how it started. And I've never wrote anything like that. And it, and I would do that for a couple weeks and then I wouldn't work on it for months and then I'd say, okay, I need to, I need to do that again. Like I need to finish this book. And so I would just keep doing that. And, you know, um, my husband does work out of town a lot of the time. And so whenever he was home, he'd be like, do you need to go to the coffee shop now for three hours? And I'd be like, yes. I do think. <laughs> so it really was this sort of, you know, just 
these bite-sized pieces of time. And I never thought I would have been able to write like that before. Kind mm. of like mm. straight so, on. Yeah. I would love if you could read us a little bit now. Oh, this sure. seems like the perfect time. So Rachel's agreed to read just a little from the start of this yeah. extraordinary book. Can we just, before you do that, can we just get a show of hands for people who've already read Night Bitch so we can, oh yeah, okay. there's Night Bitch fans. Everyone else, you'll obviously be buying it before you leave tonight. It's oh my gosh. at the back there. I'm so interested in who all of you are. <laughs> all you Night Bitches out there. All right. <laughs> So this is just a little um, morsel, just a quick little morsel from the beginning. With a, with a fir- the, my dad hasn't, as you might imagine, my dad hasn't said all that much about the book. <laughs> but the first thing he did say was, wow, th- 84 words in your first sentence. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was very loving. Okay. <laughs> When she had referred to herself as night bitch, she meant it as a good-natured, self-deprecating joke, because that's the sort of lady she was, a good sport, able to poke fun at herself, definitely not uptight, not wound really tight, not so freakishly tight that she couldn't see the humor in a lighthearted, not-meant-as-an-insult situation. But in the days following this new naming, she found the patch of coarse black hair sprouting from the base of her neck and was like, what the fuck? (laughs) I think I'm turning into a dog, she said to her husband when he arrived home after a week away for work. He laughed and she didn't. She had hoped he wouldn't laugh. She had hoped that week as she lay in bed wondering if she was turning into a dog, that when she said those words to her husband, he would tip his head to one side and ask for clarification. She had hoped he would take her concerns seriously. But as soon as she said the words, she saw this was impossible. Seriously, she insisted, I have this weird hair on my neck. She lifted her normal hair to show him the black patch. He rubbed it with his fingers and said, yeah, you're definitely a dog. (laughs) <laughs> oh, it's so very good, Rachel. I want to um, I want to talk about rage. I had a, a <laughs> girlfriend who I won't name uh, this week who confessed to me, and she was kind of gleeful as she confessed it. She said, "I don't know what happened. I screamed, and then I kicked the door down. Uh, n- no one was hurt in this; <laughs> just the door. I will I will say that." But. You said in an interview that in early motherhood you were filled this, with this rage that you didn't know what to do with. And I want to know that the voice, Night Bitch's voice has, has got rage, yes, but also this humour and clarity and lyricism. How did you funnel the rage in mm. and still allow us as readers to feel the rage, yes, but to have this whole spectrum of emotions too? Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm glad that was your experience of it. Um I think when I was writing this book, I was really close to the material and I was coming in real hot every day (laughs) at the coffee shop. Um, I was coming in real hot. And so I would have to go back home, you know, to my situation that I was trying to figure out, you know, in, in my 20s as I was kind of trying to figure out this impossible situation of being alone, being on your own, how to be a person. Again, I was returning to that in my late 30s, like, uh, okay, Rach, what are we doing now? Like, how are you How are you getting yourself out of this one? Like, it seems impossible. Like, how are you going to get back to who you are? And so I was going in and writing this um, every day. And I realized that the rage at a certain point becomes really counterproductive Mm. and it starts to um, eat you up, right? It becomes uh, something you're doing to yourself more than anyone. And it's interesting that just like as a narrative choice, it wasn't going to work, you know? Not even as like a personal choice, Mm. right? So... It's it's just so thrilling to have this gift of narrative and of story. I mean, to use, to sort of show you the way. I mean, at least that's the way that I have used it in my life. And so I knew that she couldn't just be angry. I knew I didn't want to write that because it would take me down. And I knew readers couldn't endure that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
she just had to be all of what she was, you know, she had to be like ridiculous and, uh, and absurd and funny and, um, and like really smart mm. and, uh, and also really, really angry. It's this sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not justified, but oh, like righteous rage, mm. you know, um, sort of starting off there. And I, and I did know that the the whole book was not going to burn that hot. Like we would, we would get somewhere else eventually. Mm. Um, but I did, I do like, I, I'll listen to an angry woman, I, yeah. you know, like an angry woman opens a book. Tell me more. Like, yeah. yes, I will stay with you. So I wanted a voice that would kind of draw you in. Mm. Yeah. That that absurdity and the ridiculousness, like I think that I, I laughed out loud in reading this book. Okay. And it was similar, a similar experience to reading Jessamine Chan's The School of Good yes, Mothers in that, that um, yeah. wonderful book as well. Um, and I think there has been, like you say, there's sometimes a tendency for books on mothering to be bad, sad, heavy books mm. and they're hard to read when you're feeling like a bad, sad, heavy mum yourself. Um, so that funny. Were you plucking those out just from life and putting them in? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Obviously not the, the when night but bitch goes and shits on the lawn of someone else. No. Like, I'm assuming that's not from life. I but mean, yeah, that was, was just funny. like wish fulfillment <laughs> or something. Um no, I mean, I think I also really, I needed to have fun. You know, I hadn't been writing for a couple years. I wanted a project that I wanted to finish. Um, and so, I mean, uh, part of this book too is just about play. Mm. I mean, it, both formally and content-wise is about how play can really save us, you know. Has play always been part of your practice or was that something that came in after the birth of your son? Um, like play and writing. Yeah, play and writing. I I mean, I'm one of those people, I do like formal play. That yeah. is kind of how I get into my writing, um, for better or for worse. I think this book is an, is actually more kind of narrative than a lot of the other stuff I've done. Like I like ideas and mm. like playing with ideas in my writing. Um, my, my MFA thesis was um, all about whether you could write like a playful, happy thesis that was good. Like the challenge of writing happiness yes. or love, because I think you they're so hard to write about in interesting ways. So like, yeah, I, I, I am kind of interested in this ongoing project of play. What's really interesting when you say that is that there's a very beautiful redemptive arc for many of the other characters, uh, for Night Bitch herself, but for the husband, um, for the other mums, mm. um, for those grad school uh, women that she goes to meet with who have been become very successful when <laughs> Night Bitch is not feeling successful. Like at times during the book, I wanted to bite those characters. <laughs> I was so angry at them. I was so angry at them. Mm. But you, you switch it so we see them in their fullness by the end of the book. And that's a really beautiful gift, both to the characters and to us as readers. Was that something you absolutely set out to do? Um, I think I didn't know, I didn't know what to do with them. You know, I didn't know where it was going. Um, I did know though that the husband couldn't just be a monster mm. and I think for a while I did think Jen was only going to be a monster but then I got to a certain point where I'm like no she absolutely isn't mm. and um yeah and 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 it just they had to be they had it had to turn around right mm. and she had to kind of team up with them and become allies with them I think too, I was really interested. I wasn't interested in, in like the tragedy of estrangement. I mm. wasn't interested in another sad story. Um, and to me that felt really uh, risky, mm. you know, like, oh, maybe it won't be as literary. It's not as serious because you have a happy ending or, um, but I, I was really interested in how this character could come into community instead of staying estranged. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, like that, that's where, as I, as I moved into the, 
I kind of call the second half of the book a little bit more mystical or maybe contemplative where she's writing to Wanda White. I think that's her kind of meditating her way toward, oh, of course, like I want, I want to be in relationship and community with this people, with these people. And how do I get there? Mm. Let's talk about Wanda White. Um, <laughs> that one reviewer said that um, it was unfortunately fictional, this incredible book that Night Bitch finds. It's kind of this obscure text. Um, it's called A Field Guide to Magical Women yeah. and it's written by this woman, Wanda White. And she engages deeply with this text. So interesting now hearing you say about your desire for formal kind of play mm. because that's it, it sits within this book. At what point did that come into the process? Yeah, I think that came in really early. I, I do have a problem when I'm writing longer projects. There's always like another book that's the book within the book. And then I'm like, well, maybe I should just write that book. So for a while, I'm like, I'm writing this book. It's called A Field Guide for Magical Woman. Then I'm like, no, Rachel, you're writing a novel. It's not Wanda Weiss books. So um, that was kind of, you know, once I wrote my thousand words, then I was allowed to write an entry in that book. That was sort of my treat on the side. Um, and it came in, it came in rather early. I mean, before Wanda was there, I think there was a um, Midwestern psychic, but that just felt too, <laughs> it wasn't right. I'm like, she's not going to a psychic. We need something else. She's going to the library. Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I, I think too, Wanda is who I, I wanted that book when I was a mother, you know? And so, and I wanted a Wanda White in my life and um, she just represented this kind of, I mean, she's sort of God in a way, yeah. you know, like a female God um, uh, who, who night bitch writes her prayers to. Um, and yeah, I, th that just seemed right. Like she needed that moment in the book. I felt like Googling immediately, like, are there women in these parts of the world who turn, <laughs> who disappear or who turn into these different things? Yeah. Did you just have so much fun finding, creating those types yeah, of women? Yeah. Yeah. They just came. I think the bird women of Peru was first. And I was like, Oh, what's this? Maybe there are some others. Um, one of them is based. My friend read the book. She was, she was like, "You put me in the in the book of magical <laughs> women. It's me." I'm like, "You are a true blue." She's like, "It's me exactly." So I mean, it was kind of fun, you know, to pull in my most magical friends and then to just like make up other stuff. Yeah. One of your inspirations you've written was Jenny Offal's Department of Speculation, yeah. um, and this idea of being an art monster. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about how that phrase spoke to you? Yeah. So I don't, I remember very little of that book because I read it, I think in early motherhood. Um, but when I was getting ready, when I was, you know, people were started asking me about this book when it came out, I thought, oh, well, let me go back in my files and see if I actually wrote anything during those two years where I say I didn't write. And so I'm looking through all my documents and I have this one document and it just says art monster. And I'm like, what's this? And I open it and it's this quote from um, Department of Speculation, Jenny Offal wrote, um, and the narrator is saying, I never wanted to become a mother and wife. I never wanted to get married. I always thought I'd be an art monster instead. And I'm like, and so this was written in some like, I don't know, you know, the first year of my son's life, I thought I was going to write an essay about the art monster. It spoke to me in some way, immediately completely forgot it until I opened up this document. I'm like, Oh, that that's the seed of nightmare. Like that has been working somewhere deep inside me. Um, and just this idea, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because this idea, if you're a creative person, if you're an artist, if you have this drive to make things, there's something so intoxicating, uh, at, about just like going into your work, right? Like having the time and space to just move into it, to be fully selfish in the most positive, you know, putting that word in the most positive, fully selfish, take all the time and space you want and silence and be there. And then isn't it so interesting then that when you become a mother, it's this other space of complete saturation, right? Where you're just there's not room for anything else. 
Um, and so you have these two spheres, this like deep art monster desire, right? To just like create something amazing. And then you have this mother monster space where you're just like, I have created something amazing, you know, and it, and you want to attend to them both fully. And that's, I think that's what Night Bitch is about. Mm, It it absolutely is. And it's extraordinary and no spoilers for people who haven't written. It's extraordinary the way that Night Bitch comes to a point where she can attend to both. I know there's lots of writers in the audience tonight. How have you found a space (laughs) as a writer (laughs) and a mother to attend to both those spheres? Has it changed for you? Have you got better at it? Yeah, I mean, it's always changing, right, when you have a kid. Um, And maybe, you know, people would tell me in those first two years, it's okay you're not writing, that, you know, it'll change. But it wasn't okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure for some people it is okay. Mm -hmm. But for me, it it was not, it did not feel okay. And if I had to do it over again, I would be, you know, really deliberate about, I'm going, you know, I'm going to take time. I'm going to make sure I have three hours a day or whatever it is that I need three hours every other day. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, it looked really different when I started writing again and I had these three hour spurts and I didn't write every day and I would forget about the novel for months on end and come back to it. That felt very different. Mm. Um, and now things are different yet again because my son's older and he's in school. So now I do have a stretch of time and now I kind of can, you know, go back to a long project and start, have a little bit more brain space, but of course, you know, like the best writing comes at two 30 and I need to go pick him up at three fifteen. you know, Always. and you're like, ah, why? Um, so yeah, there's still that, there's still that tension, Um, but it's always, it's always shifting. Um, and I do think there's something to be said too about this idea of play, Mm. of playing with it. Um, and I'm thinking more, you know, now my son is very creative and he's coming up with comics and stories and scenarios. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to play with him. You know, mm. we're going to figure out how to play together. Like there's some stuff going on and and maybe there's a book or a project that's going to come out of that. And so that I think that's like the next frontier, which I'm kind of interested mm. in. That's a really lovely um, framing of it because Night Bitch, of course, um, as Night Bitch, has this incredible capacity for play. Mm. And what, what you write in the book and what is so often expressed by um, parents and mothers in those early years is, I don't want to fucking play. I don't yeah. want to play. Oh I don't want to colour. I don't want the Lego. I don't want to play. Like, it's boring. Yes. No one told me I had to sign up for this. So this <laughs> idea of how... <laughs> I, I revealed too much, didn't I? <laughs> We are all right there with you. (laughs) This idea, it's so captivating how she just revels in the play as Night Bitch, as as this incredible dog. And I want (laughs) to ask you about the writing of the dog because it feels like a very simplistic question to say, do you have a dog? Did you like (laughs) hang out with the dog a lot while you were writing? Because it's so feral for those people who've read it. It's like it's stinking and nets neck snapping and like (laughs) you can taste the meat in your mouth Mm. um when you are reading it how did you do it yeah I someone just asked me this question they were like did you do a lot of research I'm like I think I'm just strange I don't know (laughs) um well okay so I, I I will say you know I grew up in the Appalachian foothills of eastern Ohio where I lived in the woods I was always around animals there were like deer hanging from the trees in the fall. My dad was a hunter. You know, like there was just like a lot of death and dirty dogs and like like dogs with a deer leg that they dragged around for three months, you know, or like a, a deer. There were just deer heads in our front line. So, yeah, I'm starting to okay, get a Okay, you're sense. starting to yeah. get it, right? Um, and I, when I was young, this very much affected, like I would not eat meat when I was young. It was very, it was a little traumatic for me. So all of, all of that was already programmed deep in there. And I will say a lot of the feralness came from my birth experience, which as my um, midwife said, really blew my hair back. Um, wow. 
Wow. Really blew my hair That's back. That's one way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was... Uh, it was, it was wild. And I was like, I'm an animal. Mm. I'm an animal. Um, it, and it was, you know, you, in the, in the best birth experiences, you touch death, you, you go and you meet death. You're like, hi. Um, my best friend who had had three children at home before I had the baby, she was like, you're at a certain point, you're going to think you're going to die. And that's normal. And I was like, cool. I'm ready for that. <laughs> But it's true. I mean, and and this is the sort of stuff like my Mennonite aunts had never mentioned any of this, you know, at our little pastel baby showers when I was little. Um, and so I just had this very profound experience of being an animal, of just touching death is right there, um, of bringing this thing into the world and of like seeing its death in the future, being like, wow, like you're going to die. This sounds very morbid, but it was just like this very profound, like, whoa, a lot has just transpired. Um, And then what happens to your body after that? You know, I'm like, I'm a mammal, I'm lactating. Um, And all of these just very instinctual things that started kicking in. And that was the dog. I mean, I had the dog in me. Um, I had met her, and so she came. She came along. You actually on that. You you wrote in a wonderful interview. Um, I had a baby that I had grown in my body. I pushed it out of a small hole, which is fucking crazy. Do you see how powerful this is? Honestly, how are men not terrified of us? <laughs> and how is the world not exactly as women would have it? And I think that's so powerful, and it and it also brought to mind um, the wonderful Naomi Elderman's book, The Power, and oh, the conceit yeah. at this at, in that, which is that women suddenly have the power to kill or maim men mostly with their hands, and just the shift in that. But that physical kind of violence is was it terrifying to write, like bringing it up in you and oh, that physicality? How yeah. did that feel like to write? I mean, it was scary. I'm, I mean, and I come from a pacifist background. Yeah. So like we, we do not embrace our shadow side. We do not. And I had this um, actually quick side note. I, the Mennonites invited me back after like 25 years to this Mennonite conference. And I gave a little reading and all they wanted to talk about was violence. <gasps> And I'm like, yeah, you guys really, you guys should dig into that because you've been avoiding it for like many centuries. You should probably address it at some point. Um, Yeah, I mean that that was really scary uh, for me, and it was, I you know just like being really mean when you make up wake up in the middle of the night. Mm. Like, who am I? Like, Mm. that's not who I am. That's Mm. not who I thought I was. It's my child. Mm. Like, why would I yell at my child? I mean. It, it it was it was terrifying and and yeah and that's why it went in the book because I'm like I need I need to look at this and like is this am I the only person on earth like maybe I am a monster you know and and as I started writing this book I told myself I would never have to show it to anyone mm-hmm. um, and that's the only way I could write it because I just felt so alone I felt so terrified I felt like such a freak. Um, but I knew I, I knew I had to like get it out of my body because it was, it it felt like energy, like the, the words, the story, it just felt like something that had to come out of my body. And if I wasn't going to write it, I was going to scream it or I was going to dig it or something. I mean, seriously, just Mm -hmm. like that's where I was, um, when I was writing this, uh, yeah, Mm. Mm. I want to let the audience know that obviously I have pages and pages of questions, but I am going to let you ask some questions because I know that there are some big Rachel Yoda fans in the audience. So I'll come to your questions. You can start to get them ready in in your mind. I'll come to them in a few minutes. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about wanting. Mm. Um, There's when I was writing the mother fault, I had, I kept as this kind of um, touchstone, an article by Rufy Thorpe called mother writer Mm -hmm. monster maid. And in it, she talks about this magical lodestone that is want. And I think so often in conversations I've had with women writers in the past couple of years, we have talked about wanting and what wanting does inside us. And when it corrupts, because we don't get what we want, we Mm -hmm. don't know what we want. Night bitch, a part of her shift into the dog 
is that she gets what she wants in this very physical, emotional sense. Mm. How did you kind of want to deal with wanting in the book? I think you also refer to it in the book as longing as well. Longing, yeah, desire. Yeah, and talking, great question, and just like talking to so many people about this book, I, I didn't realize I was writing about wanting or desire, but obviously that's what the whole the mm. whole thing is about, desire. And it's about her body's her body's capacity to lead the way when when she is unable to say what she desires to speak what she wants her body's like it's cool i got it we're turning into a dog <laughs> um and you're coming along for the ride, whether you like it or not. Like, here we go. This is something we have to do. And she doesn't know what's happening. And I think it's just so much about the, the intelligence of our bodies, um, the ability of our bodies to, like, lead the way. In you know, if we're, like, living in our bodies, in touch with our bodies, the ability for that to, to lead the way and lead us through life. Um, and how even her desire for a child, right? That that's kind of the inciting incident of the book. It's the thing that like breaks her life. Um, she never thought, and then her body, and then she turned thirty, and then her body, her body said this thing, spoke its desire, and she brought that into being. And so the book is just this series of kind of going becoming estranged from the body, going back to the body, becoming estranged, but not being scared of the body, running away from it, trying to hide it, going back and looking at it more closely and asking it some more questions and, and being curious, taking that fear and turning it into curiosity. Like, okay, I'm terrified I'm turning into a dog. Or maybe this could be a good thing. <laughs> like, let's examine that. Um yeah, and so all of it, you know, I, I started part of my two years of silence again of thinking is I thought a lot about the patriarchy <laughs> um, and all of those words were given in undergrad, you know, in our feminist studies classes. And um, I was like, why, why, why is female desire so threatening? It seems like it could just break everything apart, right? And in this image of Night Bitch, you have a woman who whose desire is completely embodied. And it's like terrifying for people. It's terrifying. It's, it's threatening. It's ferocious. Um, it's powerful. Um, and I think that that was just like, all my thinking was about in this book, right? Was like, what happens when women own their desires? What happens when women are like, oh yeah, I'm done coloring my hair and maybe brushing it. And I'm done, you know, I'm just going to wear a linen sack and maybe no makeup, maybe no deodorant, you know, like what happens when it just all falls apart and we just do whatever we want that is a huge threat to patriarchy, right? And so Night Bitch is this beautiful kind of creature that sort of embodies all of that stuff that can just bring it all down. Um, and oh my God, like, I'm so glad she showed up. She, I just really needed her. <laughs> And she's making me not dye my hair now. So that's what we're that's the new night bitch journey I'm on. I think we <laughs> all needed her. I can feel like this energy rising in the room just as you were saying that, like everyone's about to get up and start howling. Um, I do want to go to questions um, from the audience. So the um, lovely ushers will come around with microphones if you just want to raise your hand. But before we do that, I wanted to ask, you know, obviously Night Bitch has been this phenomenal success. There's the movie coming. Yeah. It's, you know, it's taken you to all these, not as many places because it was COVID and yeah. lockdowns, but, you know, it's it's brought you a new readership and new audience. Do you ever fear that you are now going to be 
that woman who wrote the book about motherhood? Like is that or about the dog? Is there some kind of internal fear that, oh, writing motherhood, like I I can't do that. I I don't want to be that person. I mean, I think I had that fear before I wrote the book. Yeah. I was like, I do not want to write a motherhood book. Mm. Um, I mean, I've come to terms with the fact that I will always be night bitch and that my Uncle Joe at Thanksgiving when I enter the church will be like, it's night bitch. It is. Thank you, Joe. Um, (laughs) But I... I don't I don't feel like it's hindering me in moving forward, you know? Like I <laughs> I contain multitudes. Um <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot more weird, interesting stuff to write. Um I had this professor once who said, you know, you'll spend a decade of your life obsessed with a certain theme and then you can move on, which seems so tidy and nice, mm. but it's like so, you know, maybe I do have a little bit more to write about motherhood, um, maybe from a different angle. Mm. Um, and then maybe I'll move on, but, um, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't feel, um, I feel like I can do what I want. Hopefully we feel that too. (laughs) Um, okay. Some questions from the audience, just raise your hand. Don't worry. I have more if you don't have them. I can't. Oh, yes, there's, I think there's one up the back. You're in this gorgeous pink and blue lighting, so I can't really see yeah. a thing. You look very lovely, though. Um, hi, sorry. I just had a baby four months ago, so if this, um, if this thought ends in the middle of a sentence, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, you were sort of talking about how you would go to the coffee shop and sort of it would all kind of pour out of you. I guess I'm curious as to... Um, yeah, it just happened. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's I'm okay curious as to what the relationship you, you considered the relationship to be between yourself and the night bitch character, because obviously you know you're you were living this kind of visceral reality of motherhood, and that's obviously also what the book's about. So, how did you kind of um, tackle? writing so much that it was kind of autobiographical but also a work of fiction as well yeah four months thank you for being here (laughs) um yeah you know I speaking of starting talking and stopping in the middle of the sentence I mean it really began as me thinking, oh, I'm going to write some essays about motherhood and starting an essay and then it just stopped, you know, um, and starting another one and it just stopped because I didn't have the capacity to complete anything. Um, But I had these little snippets and the actual very first snippet of the book was about the lactation room where I was just ranting about the lactation room where I worked um, and just how ridiculous it was to schedule in my lactate, you know, like taking calls while I'm pumping and shoving granola bars in my mouth. And just, I'm just like, why did no one tell me it would be like this? <laughs> like, why are we not talking about this? Is this ridiculous or is it just me? You know, like I just, I just had so many questions and no one to answer them. So it really started out as just, just sort of screaming into the void and, incoherent, unfinished writing. Um, and then I guess that, that voice, which certainly was me to a certain extent, but was also a fiction, you know, as all narrators are, whether they're in nonfiction or fiction, that creation, I thought, okay, I, I'm really in touch with the unhinged part of myself right now. So I'll run with that, you know, like it felt like a character that I, that had an engine that could take me places. And I wanted to be taken to the end of a novel. I wanted to write an entire book. And so I just grabbed a hold of that. And while it certainly wasn't exactly me, it was like a part of me, um, I, I didn't want to write a memoir it would have been way too close to what was going on. Like I needed to be writing about someone way out here who definitely wasn't me, who didn't even have a name, who was just a mother. 
And I, I needed a little separation from that. And I needed to like watch her move around because, um, I was in my own, I was, I was in it. Um, so I, so I couldn't make it about me that directly. And so that's just, I mean, that it was just, that's just how it began, you know, like trying to get a little distance, trying to keep it light. And then also like using that engine of rage to to get into the book far enough so that I could keep going. Great question. Uh, We've got a question. Uh, We've got two down here, one over on this side. Hi. Um, I'm interested you came through uh, an MFA and you uh, studied with the Iowa writing program. And I'm really curious about I guess, A, your relationship with the Writers' Workshop generally, and B, whether or not you were showing this to people and saying, is this okay, is this unhinged, like, <laughs> what am I doing, or whether it was something you were keeping quite to yourself in a kind of motherhood cat hiding in the cupboard, kind of having your babies kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. Great questions. And gossipy, which I love. <laughs> um, well, let's see. So I uh, went to the nonfiction writing program at Iowa, which is not part of the Iowa Writers Workshop, they will have you know, because they only accept fiction and poets in the workshop. However, the nonfiction program is also a wonderful program. So um, as you might expect, there's a lot, you know, like, at Iowa, it's very kind of high literature, you know, like they want students to go on to win the National Book Award and the Pulitzer. And um, I, you know, was in my second MFA when I was at Iowa. And then that was also sort of like the milieu that I was in there, this very high literature milieu. So of course, I'm like, I'm going to write my thesis about happiness and it's going to have babies and hamsters and, um, you know, just like that felt really rebellious to me basically is what I was doing. Um, and I think this book also felt rebellious because it's like genre, it's called Night Bitch, it's a little vulgar, it's not like high literature, it's 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 kind of, you know, blending genres. Um, so it kind of... So that that's my that's my jam. Like I get energy sort of from being a little provocative or rebellious. I like writing in that area. But I will also say to the program's credit, to the nonfiction program's credit specifically, it was an amazing program in that they said you are here to be an artist, you are here to experiment, you are here to find out what you like to write, what gets you going, what excites you about art. Um, you are not here to publish a book. You're here to experiment and fail and succeed on your own terms, however you define that. And that was absolutely invaluable. And And I don't know what the, what the workshop is like. I don't know what they're doing exactly over there. Um, but in the nonfiction program, that that's what they were doing. And so it really gave me like, this kind of, again, this laboratory to figure out like, who I was as a writer. And I think in Night Bitch, I felt really free to start to take pieces out of what I thought were personal essays and put them in a novel and to also have a character who just rants in a novel. Like there's no scene. She's just ranting, which was like a huge no-no in my fiction, you know, like you don't want exposition. And I'm like, I'm going to have exposition wherever I want it, you know? So it, it felt like this... I don't know, just sort of rebellious um, text in that way. There was another part of your question that wasn't about Iowa. That was a great question by novelist and creative writing teacher, uh, Penny Russon there in the audience. Was there another part of the question, Penny, that we need? Sorry, just um, whether or not you were showing people as you were writing it. Oh, yes. (laughs) No, because it was crazy. (laughs) What what happened was I I wrote 50 pages of it and I sent it to my agent and I was like, is this crazy? Just say yes or no. Just whisper it over email. Is it crazy? <laughs> and she wrote me back and she's like, keep going. Like, that's all I, you know, I just needed one person to be like, it's fine. Just keep going. Um, 
so yeah, it w- it did seem kind of secret. Like it wasn't something I was showing to a lot of people. It was just something, something I was doing. Yeah. Isn't that just always what we need to hear? Keep going. That's yeah. all you ever need to hear. Need one Another person. question down here. Thank you. Hi. I love the conversation we're having. Um, fascinating. Um, just building on the last question. So it goes to the publisher. What did they think? Like this is a way out there concept. Did they go, did, did you have to compromise on your concept and your thoughts of motherhood through the book? Could you just give us a bit of an outline of how that process ended up being the end version? Yeah. Sure. Thank you. Great question. Um so I guess the part of the process in publishing is my agent um, put together, you know, like a list of editors she thought might be interested in reading the manuscript and you send it out to maybe 15 editors in your first round. And so that happened. And the, the first we started hearing back were just no thanks, you know, just uh, not for me. Uh, <laughs> and it really is not for everyone. So, um, we got a, a few early no's, but then there were two editors probably in the first week who were really interested. Um, and I talked to one of them, and there were a lot of notes, um, name, title change, name change, right? Because, you know, they're like, Amazon can't put this on their banner because it says Night Bitch on it, you know? Like, already thinking about that. So... And, and I think that editor had a lot of great, I mean, she had a lot of great notes. Um, but the title, was, you know, that didn't sit great with me. And so then I talked to another editor who also had notes, but one of them was not that we had to change the title. She's like, there are ways we can work with it. And so she just became, it was obvious, like I wanted to work with her. So it happened really quickly, just some some really quick early no's and then a preempt it all happened maybe in over the course of 10 days. Um, and then like 10 days later, I had a film agent, which had not even been on the horizon. I'm like, how do people, how have people in Hollywood read this? I don't understand what is happening. <laughs> um, and then COVID hit. I mean, this is all happening at also as like the United States is shutting down. Um, so it was a very strange exciting, um, strange time, but yeah. Um, and I know every, yeah, everyone's publishing story is different. So that was my great question. Yeah. Thank you. I'm super conscious of the time. We probably have time for one more question before I finish up and let you grab copies of Night Bitch. Yes. Down here. Thank you for writing this amazing book. It feels like you crawled into our heads and (laughs) brought this out. It's amazing. Um, Do you have any literary touchstones or books that have kind of changed your (laughs) life or something that you return to or things that have influenced you? Yeah, like I planted her in the audience. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I love talking about other people's books. I, I will say that one book I read before I wrote this that really opened up possibility for me Um, was by someone who had gone to the workshop named Carmen Maria Machado, and she wrote Her Body and Other Parties, which is a collection of short stories that was playful and political and feminist and queer and literary and genre. I mean, it just did whatever it wanted to do. And people loved it, and I loved it, it, right? (laughs) And I'm like... I want to do that. Like, this is what I want to do. And that book gave me permission to do that. And so I feel like I just owe her a huge debt of gratitude for, for writing that. Um, another book more recently, which we were talking about, uh, I've never had a favorite book, but I do have a favorite book now, which I just recently read. I had to like stop reading it in the me- in the middle because I got so excited that I couldn't keep reading it. I had to like go away and be like, ah, so good. It's this book called Pure Color by Sheila Hetty, um, who's also written a book called Motherhood and How to Be a Person. Um, but it's just, uh, 
talk about playfulness and talk about form and talk about uh, a new way a novel can look. It's just, it absolutely blew my mind. Um, it's like, oh, this is like the next frontier of writing. I don't even know what she did. So um, I love pure color and I will go go back and I never reread books, but I'm, I'm going to go back and reread it. Um, yeah. Beautiful and perfect question to finish because that's exactly where we wanted to finish to talk about books um, while we have been discussing this extraordinary book, Night Bitch. Rachel Yoda, thank you for writing Note Bitch. <laughs> Night Bitch? Note Bitch. <laughs> and thank you for your generosity and your insights and sharing all of that with us here tonight. For our audience, thank you for being here. You are warmly invited to um, head up to the amazing Neighbourhood Books who are our booksellers here this evening um, and Rachel will be signing copies of Night Bitch there for you. Um, wonderful audience. It's very important to the organisers to let you, you go and you finish with the words that you are all doing a great job. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Rachel Yoda. Thank you, Kate, so much. You've been listening to Kate Mildenhall in conversation with Rachel Yoda, recorded as part of Mother at the Wheeler Centre on Friday, the 3rd of March, 2023. The Wheeler Centre podcast is produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. You can listen to more podcasts or explore videos, news and our full calendar of events at wheelercentre.com.